Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatisparks.com. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website. That's sumatisparks.com, S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks are flying. And when you request the quiz, you'll be automatically added to my mailing list, and you'll be the first to learn about my virtual events and to receive occasional helpful tidbits of advice and information to add more love, passion, and joy into your life. So today I'm really excited to have as my guest Lisa Rizzoli. Lisa is a Tantra and Sacred Sexuality Coach. She helps passionate spiritual seekers live an orgasmic, blissful life beyond their wildest dreams by weaving ancient wisdom with modern science, exploring the spiritual path of Tantra. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for asking me to be part of the show, and I'm excited to be here and to share this space with you and explore what we're going to explore. Right. It's funny because you, you wrote on your Facebook post, I wonder what we're going to talk about, and it just made me laugh. Like, I love that you're comfortable being in that present moment about that and kind of unrehearsed and just being with what's alive in the moment. I, I love that. I love just having conversations with you know, with girlfriends who are into the same kind of stuff I'm into. So so let's start with just, you know, tell us a little bit about how you found your way to the tantric path in your life and how did you become a teacher of it? Wow. Well, that's quite the story, but I will start <laughs> as best I can <laughs> to share with you. So uh, I was in my 40s and I'm, I had a friend who wanted to go to a specific retreat center, but you had to go to a workshop. So she picked a, the, the workshop, and we ended up in this, like, divine feminine something-something workshop. And I got in there, and it was all about Tantra. So they were teaching these, these ancient teachings, and I sat in the classroom thinking, wow, I'm 40-something, and I'm, I'm educated. I, I have an anthropology degree. How do I not know about this? Where, where's mm. this been all my life? Because they were talking a language that I really connected with. But I didn't have anybody prior to that who I could ever talk to about this stuff. So it was, it was very fascinating that how that kind of transpired and all of a sudden I was placed into this path of Tantra. As the weekend went on, I ended up going to the facilitators and said, oh, my gosh, this is what I want to be when I grow up. How do I do this? <laughs> and um, Caroline Muir took me under her wing and said, come along, and I'll, I'll, help you, I'll help you find the path. So I went through her courses, and I started my journey on that path to becoming a Tantra educator. Um, shortly into that process, she said, you need to also go talk to Charles Muir, her ex-husband. And I went, okay. And I went and talked to him. I went into his courses. And the very first time we met, he said, we're going to teach together. 
And I thought, mm, I don't know about that. I don't know what this is, you know. And uh, <laughs> next thing I knew, I got through my, my whole training process, and I was on the stage next to him teaching this, this form of, of spiritual spirituality, but also sacred sexuality. And it's just been mm-hmm. on that path ever since. You know, there was a lot of things that piqued me. Number one, I've always been a very open sexual person. So um, I can talk about sexuality and sex and, and all that. And I wasn't one of those ones that got really shy or embarrassed or anything like that. I was just wanted to know more and wanted to know more. And a lot of times I just couldn't find the information that I was looking for until I found Tantra. And then that's where that sacred sexuality piece that I'd been looking for, you know, to tap into that was really what ignited my soul and said, yes, this is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. And this is how I want to show up in the world at this point in time in my life. So that's kind of how I got started. Cool. Well, hey, you mentioned um, Charles and Caroline Muir, so or Carolyn. Um, so let our uh, listeners know who haven't heard that name before who they are. So Charles and Caroline Muir uh, were the founders of the original founders of Source School of Tantra, and they also wrote a book about tantra, the, the art of conscious loving. So they're uh, kind of like the pioneers, if you will, in the Tantra world, and especially in the States, in the United States and, and on the West Coast. So coming into this part of the world and bringing that forward. So at some point, uh, they divorced, and Caroline started her own school, and Charles kept source school. But they're still very much friends and loves and, and very connected in so many ways. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're great people. Cool. cool. And then tell me when you say first, uh, you, you refer to sacred sexuality. So what was it that you gleaned from those early trainings that made it feel sacred to you? So I believe what touched me was the first thing that uh, I really connected with was when people were talking about Amrita. And at first I didn't know what that term meant, obviously, but the the female ejaculation. And this is something, this was a phenomenon that I've experienced since I, since I was a little kid. I mean, because female ejaculation and, or Amrita doesn't necessarily have to come from sex, like actually uh, having a sexual experience. The Amrita actually is much more powerful than that, and it's that sacred nectar of the gods is what I like to actually use as my translation when I use it. So with the crown chakra at the top of the head opening up into the ethers and into that wisdom, that universal wisdom, and it's like the fluid flowing downward through my body and then it coming out of my body. Um, that was something that I experienced as a, as a young child, even when I was doing uh, prayers in church, I would have this liquid come out, and you know there was a there was a lot of confusion about it because my parents didn't know what it was. You know, everybody thought I was peeing, 
and but it wasn't. And and you know, I remember as a kid going, "This isn't pee," <laughs> you know, and having that that experience. So, um, did you get I shamed about in, that by your parents? I didn't get shamed. They were more concerned that something was wrong. So there was a concern mm-hmm. of like, and I did, I was also born with, it's, it's kind of interesting how this happens, that my bladder doesn't empty all the way. So I tend to have bladder infections if I'm not drinking enough water and flushing well. So there's mm-hmm. already this um problem with my bladder and then there was this thing that was happening this phenomenon that I would have this leakage but it would only show up at certain times it would praying was one of those times when I was in church and I would be praying this this liquid would come and um, you know it would be like I wet my pants but my parents really my mom was more a little more concerned I don't know that my dad really I don't remember anything with my dad being involved in that part. I remember my mom going, what's going on? And her having that concern and that worry that something was wrong. But I was also like, everything is fine. I'm fine. This is how it's supposed to be. But she was more like, uh, I don't know that that's right. And so I went to a lot of doctors as, as a young girl. And then when I became sexual, then it came in even stronger and that was when the shaming came from the boys that I was that I was having intercourse with as a young girl. Right. They didn't know what it was. I couldn't explain it other than going, "This is something really cool." You know, I thought it was really neat, <laughs> and uh, they didn't. You know, most of them thought that I was peeing on them, and then I ended up hiding it. So I I tucked it away and hid it, and you know, which actually caused more problems because then I started having more bladder infections as a result of like holding so tight inside that I wasn't allowing anything to come out of me. And uh, so then I was going into these, these more extreme bladder infections at that time. So what I learned back then, and again, I didn't really have anybody to talk to about this, but what I learned is this, you know, and, and they do tell us, you know, after you have sex that you should go right away and urinate and, and void and, and, you know, clear the channel and do the things. And I was really um, adamant about doing that. So I, I always went to the bathroom right after, after having sex because I, I didn't want to get a bladder infection, number one. And there was something really powerful when I did because I was releasing all of this fluid. And and I knew that there was something else to that. I didn't know what it was, but I knew there was something else. So when I came into the Tantra classroom and everybody was talking about this, I, you know, my whole body lit up. The chills went through my body. You know, the hairs on my back stood up. And I know that now as to be a sign that here's the truth, Lisa, here's the truth for you. And so uh, at that time, I didn't, I didn't know that. I just knew that I was lighting up for some reason and, and having this experience. So then I um, tapped into that whole realm of female ejaculation and the Amrita a little bit more and learned so much more. But that, that was really 
that was the first piece that, that grabbed me and said, you belong here. This is what you're, you're meant to do. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so how many women, um, like, I'm sure a lot of people are curious about this and you get asked this a lot, but like, are, are all women capable of this response? Are, are some women just more like it started really early for you and it wasn't, I've never heard a woman say that they can um, release some Rito without even being sexual with someone else. So um, is that uncommon or like how, how many women I, I, do that? And I don't know that capable I can. Of that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can answer that fully. I mean, I know that I can sit in meditation and allow that channel to open and it can flow mm-hmm. freely. Like so wow. oftentimes if I'm at the beach, that's a, that's a place that I, I love to just allow that flow to happen and allow that mm-hmm. channel to open and just feel it flood right through me. There's something, there's something about being near the water that um, open that I feel more connected and in that space, you know, mother earth and water and, and the flow and all the things. And so it deep in a meditation, the Amrita will flow freely um, I also have it from, I mean, I don't have to have any stimulation to my yoni, to my vulva at all, and, and I can have it flow. Um, I don't really know of anybody else that ha- has claimed this, um, this phenomenon, but mm-hmm. I would think that there probably are women out there that have had this experience. But they may have been in the place where I was, where they didn't know that this was a possibility and they didn't know what it was. And if they were shamed, I could see how they would hold back like I did. I mean, I would have never admitted this prior to coming into a room of Tantra that, you know, deep in my prayers, I'm having this fluid coming out of me. And especially, you know, right. like I'm at the beach and, and doing a prayer at the beach and this thing, this is happening. And it, and it you know, there is a, a very, um, deep fulfillment that comes flow of the liquid that comes through. So, yeah. Um, can any woman have Amrita? As far as I know, yes. I believe that that is so, that that is our natural birthright as women, that we have the, the, the capabilities of allowing the sacred nectar to flow through us and that we can experience it um yeah i think it's possible for everybody well well thank you so much for sharing that it must have been so powerful for you to finally have a name for it and have it be normalized and have it be beautiful and celebrated that must have been incredible for you um and what i'm noticing is you know the mainstream default world it's you know men that you might take as a lover would feel kind of grossed out by it, not understand it, think it's icky. But then men in the sex positive world that I've been associating with for the last 20 years love it and are dying to be with somebody who, who can do that. And so then there almost <laughs> becomes a pressure in the other direction that like you almost feel less than if you don't ejaculate. <laughs> yeah, I think the devil is Sword. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Women have so much and 
You know, the other thing that I do notice with it is because of the the porn industry and this idea of squirting, um, mm-hmm. I know that I have, like, it, it doesn't feel good in my body when, when somebody says, oh, I can make you squirt. And I'm like, actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it has mm-hmm. nothing to do with you. It's, it's totally a different experience. But um, so there's been a movement uh, that, that people have jumped on to make women squirt. And, again, I think uh, it just doesn't feel good in my body when I think of someone making someone have that experience. I know that when right. I've worked with women one-on-one in, in a session and they want to have that experience, that there is a way to transmit it where I am basically just cupping her yoni and she's cupping my yoni and through that transmission, her Amrita will flow on its own. It's almost like mm. what I say is, is my energy body talks to her energy body and it's like it, it's almost like, hey, this is okay. We get to do this, and it's fine. It's welcomed here, and then all of a sudden, the flow starts happening. It's that, mm-hmm. it's that, in unintrusive. Is that right? Unintrusive is that the word there? <laughs> we don't have to be that intrusive to do this, like forcing the Amrita down. We don't have to force it. We can just actually invite it, and it flows so sweetly and freely and it's a beautiful blessing in those moments mm. well interesting that we went down this tangent it's really fun um, but let's also talk about like what in general is tantra because i know tantra is about so much more than just whether you have amrita flowing or not so, so tell me a little bit <laughs> yeah. about what does tantra it is. mean it, to you tantra for me is a spiritual path of living an orgasmic, blissful life. Um, and when I say orgasmic, blissful life, I know that, that uh, people, you know, I know there's been like all kinds of spoofs on Tantra and people walking around in these orgasms, shaking their whole body and doing that. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the, the joy and the pure joy and bliss here in this present moment right now. The Tantra mm-hmm. and the practices of Tantra help me to recognize my true self. So I often think about the recognition sutras, which um, they're ancient teachings, and they bring us to this place of being able to have practices that help us, allow us to connect with our, the joy of awareness, the joy of awareness of our own beings and ourselves in this moment. That's really what Tantra means to me, I know sacred sexuality pieces are super sexy and everybody jumps on and that's kind of the hook that gets people in the door. But when it comes down to what Tantra really is, it's that spiritual practice and that spiritual path that I walk every day. Mm -hmm. And so I've heard that in Tantra, you kind of think of everything as sacred. Is that true? Yes, I, I believe that that is true. Mm-hmm. So if everything is sacred, then is sex still hot if there isn't anything to push against, to be, like, forbidden and, and kinky? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, and and in looking in that in that respect too, it's like kinky is sacred. Kinky can be sacred if we if we choose for it to be that, and we bring our conscious awareness to those places. Then yes, it's a sacred act, and we get to explore all the different nuances of what this life is. So for me, tantra is also like activating the senses bringing all the central awareness in and using this body as a conduit, number one, feel the senses and have different experiences in that, whatever those particular nuances are for each individual, that's their, their right. They get, to, they get to explore and be in that. And, you know, it's, for me, it's like, yeah, I, I've played in those realms. I've done those things. And I had very much a lot of joy and pleasure coming from it. And is there that little bit of naughtiness? Yeah, absolutely. And it's fun. And at the same time, I also know that it's perfectly okay and that it is very sacred in that space as well. Well, that's true. Now that you say that, like, I love to play with, you know, edgy, kinky sexuality in the context of a relationship where I feel really loved and seen. So there needs to be that sacredness. I need to feel like I'm seen as sacred in order for me to really feel safe enough to let go into my edges. Does that make sense? It may make total sense, yeah. (laughs) Well, cool. Um, So, you know, you talked about the orgasmic bliss of the present moment. Um, I'm wondering if you might be willing to just, like, I'll be your guinea pig and the listeners can join us if they want, but just give me an experience of how do you experience the present moment as orgasmic? Mm, That's a good one. (laughs) Okay, so think about your touch because this this is how I can guide you in it. So I want you to close your eyes. And just take a few nice deep breaths, bringing yourself into right here, right now, bringing yourself into that breath. And then take your hand right on your forearm and lightly touch your arm. Take a deep inhale as you slowly, slowly take your fingertips across your arm. And notice the sensations that you're feeling in your body. Notice the sensation you feel on your arm. And notice the sensations you feel with your fingertips. Two different senses. And bringing your awareness deeper into that space. So perhaps your fingertips are just barely touching your arm or they're not even touching your arm but only slightly going over gently going over the very tips of the hairs on your arm and notice that sensation and then take a deep breath in hold that breath for a moment squeezing your pelvic floor and feel deeper into this moment And then as you relax, the squeeze in your pelvic floor and exhale slowly, allow that sensation to go throughout your 
whole body. And then when you're ready, you can open your eyes and let me know how that was for you. Oh, thank you. Yes, I noticed that that there's two um, sensations. There's the sensation of feeling, receiving the touch from my other hand onto my arm, and then there's the feeling of giving myself the touch on my fingertips. So that was interesting to differentiate those two types of sensations. And... Mm -hmm. I have I have two more comments. So the second one is mm-hmm. the experience of being in my body because I just ate a salad before this show started. So I noticed my stomach's kind of swollen. If I hadn't like stopped for a moment to do this embodiment kind of exercise, I might have just you know gone and run off and had an ice cream or something. But I noticed that as I tune in to my belly, I'm more aware that I'm very full and that I don't need any more food. So I thought, wow, this is a great practice for not overeating, <laughs> which has been an issue for it me during the pandemic to try to get that dopamine through food, you know, to so like, okay, this is a great <laughs> exercise. Okay, and then the third thing I want to say is that, that this practice strikes me as being so accessible as, as a, a solo sovereign person that you don't need another partner. And, you know, in this, the next half of this show, I want to get into relationships and intimacy with another person, but that that's not necessary to lead the orgasmic, mm. blissful life in the moment, that you don't need another person. So those are the three things that stood out to me. <laughs> oh, I love those. And, yeah, that is one of the things about, like, eating being mindful in your eating. So there's a there's a, a portion of a sutra that comes to mind when we're talking about this is that the feeding of the goddesses, which is taking the moment to really feel the sensation that you're feeling from the experience that you're giving your body. So in this case, the touch, but it could also be that bite of food. What if you slowed down in your eating and really absorbed all the sensations of that one bite of food? You have a sensation of smell, a sensation of touch, texture, uh, uh, temperature. Those are all parts of what it is. And if you took the extra time to actually digest all the sensations and allow the digestion to actually start working from the very beginning, then I believe you would feel fuller more quickly, which would help us in that whole dopamine feeding frenzy. <laughs> I'm, I'm guilty of That's that true. as well. But I do know that when me, I slow it down. That, you reminded me the very first Tantra workshop I ever did they blindfolded everybody and then somebody came by and gave us like a teensy tiny piece of like a nectarine. And then they came Mm -hmm. by again and gave us like a teensy tiny piece of a cantaloupe or a plum or whatever. And Mm -hmm. I just remember like, wow, that's like the best tasting thing ever in my life. (laughs) So like removing the visual visual and just receiving that, that sensation of the taste of the sweet fruit was amazing. 
Yeah, I'm I'm getting like all turned on just thinking about it, right? <laughs> it's like, because that's the other piece is that when we slow it down like that, and you tell me that experience, I can actually have that experience just by you telling me. I know what that tastes mm-hmm. like. I know what it feels like to have that exquisite flavor burst in my mouth and it's orgasmic in its own nature and so that's part of what this is all about is really getting deeper into those senses and feeding the goddess feeding the goddesses Mm. as stations Mm. I love that well I can hear the kids screaming outside my window children are playing outside (laughs) my apartment Uh, before we continue, just in case people have joined us late, um, let me close this door. <laughs> okay, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach, at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Lisa Rizzoli, Tantra and Sacred Sexuality Coach. And Lisa was kind enough to just lead me through a wonderful um, little visualization about how to feel orgasmic in the moment. If you have any questions for anything we've talked about so far or any other questions you can think of for Lisa, feel free to call in. We have a call-in number. It's 657-383-1132. And you won't interrupt us. You'll just be put on hold, and we'll get to your call at the right time. Again, that number is 657-383-1132. So um, the last thing I shared after the little uh, exercise you took me through was that I was struck by how you don't really even need a partner. So can you say something about that, Lisa? Absolutely, absolutely. And that is one of the key things of my practices and my teachings is that I want to have this for me first. I want to fully embody my sensuality, my sexuality, my orgasmic bliss for me first, and then be able to share that with another person. So when I'm working with clients, especially couples, I tell them that you're responsible for your orgasms yourself. And it's not your partner's responsibility to make you have an orgasm and to make you be have pleasure in your body. Pleasure in your body is yours and you get to claim it. So if we're working in this in this realm together, then we create a partnership together so that we are creating our bliss and our pleasure in our bodies together, creating that that partnership, that foundation of this is what we are. But it starts with me first. I need to know what pleases me, what what gives me pleasure. And the way that I can find that is by having my own self-awareness and my self-practices. I, um, I have a, a meditation that I offer to everyone called Loving Myself Awake. And it's a, something that I do every morning when I wake up. And it's really about bringing awareness into my body and awakening all the nerve endings in my body everywhere but in this guided meditation, I take you through the whole practice. And it's, it's a lovely way to start your morning, but it also is a way for you to take that to the next level and maybe do some self-pleasuring with that, 
like what does feel good? Does it feel good for me? Do I like do I like a strong touch or do I like a light touch? And maybe a, a kind of almost tickly touch or a deep scratching touch. Really tapping into discovering what that erotic sensation and pleasure is for you in this moment helps you to help your partner so that you can discover those things together. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And it reminds me so much about my teachings when I do relationship coaching. Um, you know, I work with people who are practicing ethical non-monogamy and jealousy is a big topic that we work with. And so I'll often blow people's minds when I say it's not your job to keep your partner from feeling jealous. And I watch their head mm. explode. <laughs> it's like, okay, <laughs> that, that doesn't too. mean, yeah, that doesn't mean that you're going to be cruel and thoughtless and unkind. You get to be compassionate and have empathy and be loving and even negotiate potential boundaries and agreements. But ultimately, you're not responsible for their jealousy because you could put yourself into a pretzel and bend over backwards and stand on your head all week long, and the person could still feel jealous. So I love that your teachings also kind of show people how to be more sovereign and separate from that codependency um, so that we're each responsible for ourselves and that as we are whole people, you know, in touch with our pleasure, in touch with our orgasm, in touch with our needs, then we can come to our partner and find that sweet spot together. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. And I love that you're teaching that and sharing that with with your clients because I do believe that that is the crux of it all. And that's part of like what I was saying, recognizing your true nature, recognizing these parts these you know that this you know i say parts but all those parts are really the whole there this is this is me this is all of me and recognizing like and being able to have good communication so noticing like ooh, my jealousy got triggered let's have a conversation and i think that's important you know to take that sovereignty and be able to take radical responsibility for our own emotions and feelings. And we share that mm-hmm. with, with our partners, with our beloveds. We get to share that with other people. But it's really my job to take care of that for myself. Right. And I think that's a really necessary teaching during the pandemic when we haven't always been able to have access to other partners as much as maybe we've been used to in the past if you're especially if you're non-monogamous um how have you handled you know the the last year in your practice and in your life well that's that's interesting (laughs) um (laughs) i have uh i take care i'm the guardian and caregiver for my brother who has down syndrome down syndrome and i have been his caretaker for the last 27 years since our mother has passed. So the pandemic is a little bit scary in our world um, with him, you know, possibly if he was to get it, you know, we don't know what would happen. We don't know what would happen with anybody getting it, but, uh, you know, it was a little bit more scary. So I shut down everything because I wanted to make sure that I was taking care of him. 
which mm-hmm. was, um, yeah, you know, I, I'm a very sexual person. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I brought my teachings in, inward. And so there has been, this is part of what, you know, why I put the loving myself awake, the guided meditation out into the world so that more people had access to that, so that they were able to experience this, which I experienced. Uh, I just took my own personal practices to a deeper level so that I was making sure that I was taking care of myself in those, in those ways. It's a, it's a very um, interesting time, interesting time. Uh, but that being said, have I had lovers? Yes. I have had a couple lovers in during this time and people that I know and trust and um, feel very comfortable and safe with. They know my situation and we all practice some, the best safety precautions that we can. And it, it kind of reminds me of safer sex practices, actually, is oh, that right. now and taking it to a whole nother level. And so that's, that is part of what my practice is in those, in those uh, realms. Mm-hmm, beautiful. Um, and so tell me a little bit about your experience and understanding of non-monogamy. Let's just dive into that topic. Um, do you consider yourself ethically non-monogamous? Have you been in the past? Um, how has that shown up in your life? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do consider myself non-monogamous, and, and I do my best to be ethical with that. It doesn't, uh, it hasn't always shown up in the best ways for me. Uh, uh, when I was younger, before I knew what this really was all about, was I uh, ethically non-monogamous? No, not at all. I would consider myself a cheater back in those days mm-hmm. um, where I hid it and I, uh, but I just didn't have, I was not a person that really did well in a monogamous relationship. Um, that being said, my third husband, who is also like my dear friend from way back when our, we've known each other since we were little kids, but we, uh, he did tell me, you know, if we're going to do this, I need you to be monogamous. And I said, okay, I can do that. And I did it for 13 years and then things started shifting and changing and then we separated and, and that whole thing kind of dissolved. We're still really good friends. In fact, we're still married, but um, that has been, you know, that was my experience is that I got to a point where I said, you know, I want to try something else. Let's try, let's try this other stuff. Let's try. And at that time, again, I didn't know about ethical non-monogamy. I didn't know about sacred sexuality and sex positive communities in those days. And so uh, we, we did try a swingers kind of um, experience, which didn't go over very well at all. He was, he really didn't want to do it. He felt like it was, it was a sin of sorts. And he just, he didn't, he, he didn't like it at all. And so that also was um, something different for us. And so we had to, we had to work through that after we, we tried that. But um, after that uh, relationship, um, drifted apart and we did, we separated and did other things. Uh, I've had little monogamous relationships here and there. And then I'm, but I usually go into a relationship saying, well, (laughs) here's my, here's my reality. 
is that I really want to do this non-monogamous thing and I can do monogamy for a little bit, but then I'm going to want to do a non-monogamous and I would prefer if we could talk about it because I think that's Mm -hmm. super sexy. If we can share our experiences and have this opening and this wonderful thing and, and usually they say yes in the beginning, but um, that hasn't been the case when it when it comes out. So my experience with ethical non-monogamy is that as long as I'm not in a more um, stable relationship, so it feels like ethical non-monogamy to me feels like dating, which I want it to be more. I mean, I, I do know people that do this. I know people that have been very successful in it. I just haven't had that experience at this point. But mm-hmm. but for me, it's like it's kind of like dating. So that's that's where my ethical mm-hmm. non monogamy comes in, or my sovereignty is is in this place of you know not committing to a relationship, which is not necessarily what I really want to experience either. I would rather have you know some some really sweet relationships solid relationships can, you know, I don't know if committed is the right word that I want, but where we're all on the same page with that and to explore more in that space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I relate to that. I um, can be monogamous for a short period of time, um, but historically I would always cheat after a couple of years, two, three years, so I just mm-hmm. know that about myself that after a couple of years, I lose interest in having just one sexual partner. And so I've told men the same thing that you said, like, as long as we can talk about it when it comes up, when I'm feeling the desire for a variety or new connections, if we can just talk about it and do it in a way that's respectful to each other, as opposed to somebody that's going to have a meltdown for even bringing up the topic at all, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, um so there's some controversy over that on a, on a lot of Facebook groups about non-monogamy. And there's some controversy over when you're dating someone new, should you, you know, act like you think you're always going to act in your life so they can take it or leave it or get used to it? Or is it okay to start with a period of monogamy so that you can, like, find out who you are together as a couple and, and bond and then kind of slowly, gently add new partners and so there's really no mm-hmm. real answer. I think we just have to see what works for each of us. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that it, each relationship is unique, and so we get to explore what those what those boundaries are, what you know where those edges are. We get to flow in that and just determine for ourselves what what works in this moment, what's working right now. Mm-hmm. And I think if we stay mm-hmm. in that place, that it tends to be a better better place for us to be right and so it's really all about you know communication having the skills and willingness to you know speak your truth to be able to hear your partner's truth without having such a big reaction that they'll never want to tell you the truth again you know like i think we should (laughs) learn in grade school i think we all need to learn in grade school like how to put our own feelings aside to hear someone else's truth about something and that doesn't mean that you have to put your feelings aside forever, but to be able to do it for a moment while you let the other person feel heard. 
it's such a rare skill in our world today. <laughs> I was really yeah. lucky to all learn how to do that and help each other feel heard. And so if we can listen to each other without our own ego getting in the way, and have boundaries, you know, like if our partner's saying, well, I want to have 45 lovers, and you're like, no, that's not going to work for me, then, you know, negotiate something different, some other way of loving each other, just like you and your husband now have a loving relationship that doesn't involve romance. Um, We can evolve to different ways of loving each other while respecting our boundaries. So we never really have to break up if, if we're doing that, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I know on Facebook groups, in some of the relationship things, it's like, is it okay to be friends with your exes? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm friends with probably 96% of my ex relationships, past relationships I am friends with. We have a friendship, and I'm friends with their new partners, and I'm friends with, you you know, the whole experience, because to me, that you know, the relationship that, that was established was there for a reason. We came together for this this beautiful moment and maybe maybe that's all we needed to have was this time together and now we go drift apart to something else. But that doesn't mean that we can't still be nice to each other and have love in our hearts for each other and have that rather than some of this this old paradigm of if we end our relationship, we have to hate each other. I, th- I don't like that mm-hmm. paradigm. That's not something that really, um, you know, if, I, if I'm talking to somebody and we're, we're talking about a relationship, I do ask those questions about their past relationship. If they're that type of person that has a lot of anxiety or anger towards their exes, me that's a flag that's a flag that I look at and like you know that's probably not going to work for me because I'm not yeah or I'm not the, willing or to the go new there. partner right or the new partner is threatened by them having a friendship with their ex like that that's somehow not okay because they're threatened you know so this is this oh, is a form of polyamory like the word non-monogamy kind of implies that there's sex involved, you know, but really it's, this is a form of polyamory where sex may not necessarily be involved, but there's multiple loving and you can still be loving and love someone who you've loved in the past that you've decided to move away from sexual, sexual expression with that person. And I think that mm-hmm. expands, allows us to keep our hearts open and it takes me back to what we were talking about earlier where we are responsible for our own pleasure and our own needs being met. We're not contingent on someone else to make us feel okay and validated. So that way we can keep our hearts open and keep loving everybody because we know that we can take care of ourselves and our own needs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a healthy way to look at it. I know, like I've heard people uh, argue with me about this point, of well what if he was abusive and or she was abusive I guess it could be either way but I I look at that and I'm like right and so what does that say about yourself that you would choose an abusive person in your life what does that Mm -hmm. say for you um you know and I've done that I have chosen abusive relationships in my life um and I get to take radical responsibility for that part of it 
of like, I chose that relationship. I stayed in that relationship. These things happened. Um, and what is my part in that? And, you know, I probably am not going to choose to be too close with that person because of the abusive relationship. But what is my part in that? And I get to really right. look we at, can still, like. We can, sorry, we can still love them as a person while holding our boundaries around, you know, it's not safe for me to do X, Y, Z with this person, but, you know, maybe I can do these other things with them where I know that I'm going to be protected from their abusive ways and still, you know, see them as a human being who's hurting and deserving of love. Right, right. And and that is, that's a, it's a hard, it's a hard spot to be sometimes. I mean, you know, there are those hard boundaries that like you can't come this close to me, but I still have love because we Mm -hmm. had the love that I had in that relationship doesn't just go away. That love continues, but that love doesn't mean that you get to, you get to do this. (laughs) Like we're not going to do that. Yeah, We often hide the, we often like bury the love with victim. Like, Oh, they're just a narcissist. So like we make them wrong and we feel anger. Mm -hmm. I've done that, you know, where I make Mm -hmm. them wrong because I don't want to feel the grief and sadness of the loss of the relationship. So I make the other person wrong. But right, the grief and really sadness and the loss of the re- right, the loss of the relationship, that grief and that sadness. But there's also another piece that I look at of my responsibility in that. Like I mm-hmm. chose it, and what is that piece about? Because there's something in there. There's a reason. There's something. There's a lesson that I got to learn from that. There's some reason why I chose that relationship. As heinous as it may have been, I chose it and I stayed in it for whatever those purposes are. And when I dig deeper into my own psyche around that, then I get those answers. And they're not always, like, they're not all flowers and rainbows (laughs) and all the pot of gold. Some of it is pretty dark and deep. And and then I get to really look at, like, wow, you know, I was out to prove, I was out to hurt myself. And I couldn't hurt myself myself. I chose somebody who would hurt me like that. Mm, And I get to look at that. And when I do that, then I get to, then I get to, you know, peel back that layer, go deeper into that piece and go, oh, hmm, well, I don't need to do that anymore. And I choose not (laughs) to do that behavior anymore. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right, right. Thank you. Um, so before You're we run welcome. out of time, I want to ask you one more question. Um, it seems like in Tantra, ritual is a really important uh, aspect of it. Um, so can you talk a little bit about ritual and why that's such a big part of Tantra and what that brings into our lives? Yeah, thank you so much for asking this question. So back in the day when I was doing my anthropological studies, I did a whole what do we call this research paper on ritual and ceremony. And I remember reading that ritual activates a certain neurochemical in the brain. Now I haven't been able to refine that article, but I know it's out there somewhere and I keep looking, but there are certain neurochemicals that are activated by rituals that we do. 
So ritual just means that we're bringing a certain awareness. So if you think about brushing your teeth, that's a certain ritual that you do. You go, you get the toothpaste out, you take the lid off. And regardless of whether or not you're being conscious and present in that, it's still a ritual that is ingrained into your to your practice. Like it's a daily practice. You always brush your teeth when you get up in the morning or when you go to bed or whatever your particular practice is. And if you don't do it, you feel different. There's, a, there's something there like, I, I forgot to do something. I have this weird feeling. So it, it creates this neural pathway in the brain of every time I do this, I get a certain feeling. So when we bring ritual into sacred sexuality, for example, into our practices, we, we talk about grounding. So some people have a specific way that they want to ground, and they ground each and every way, each and every time just that way. Like I take a breath, I open up my root chakra, I send my roots down into the earth, I visualize them going down into the core and holding on, and then I feel grounded and so every time we do that, it gives us this sensation, and we're creating neural pathways that give us a sense of safety and security. And really, we are mammals. We're herd animals. We like safety and security. So ritual mm-hmm. for us makes us feel safe and secure. So when we can bring more ritual into our practices, and in the case of Tantra, and we're doing a sacred sexuality practice and we want to bring this certain ritual, I will use a certain oil so I get the scent. I have that smell. I will use a certain, um, I'm sorry, a candle so there's that light that's going on. I'll use um, certain tapestries that are in my, that are in my uh, temple room. All of these things, all these little bits and pieces create the ritual and drive it back into those senses, like what we were talking about earlier, I'm feeding the goddesses of sensation by doing this particular ritual. And it allows me to drop into that space of being present in this moment because I've set that ritual up that when I have this oil and I light that candle and I have this tapestry on the wall. So I have these certain things lined up. I drop into that space of like, oh, this is where we're going. So similar again back Mm -hmm. to the toothpaste, when you go and you open your drawer and you pull out that toothpaste, you know what you're going to do next. Same thing in in a sacred sexuality ritual is that there's certain things that we just bring in and we do and we do, and we do, and then it, it creates that bond for ourselves, the bond within to tap in and be in that space. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. Well, Lisa, mm-hmm. I really enjoyed our conversation. I feel like we could go a whole other hour, but we're out of time. So um, <laughs> thank you so much for, for sharing your wisdom with us, and I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners how they can reach you and if you have anything you want to offer them. Absolutely. I'd love to share my free guided meditation called Loving Myself Awake. And you can find it on my website, www.let's 
letstalktantra.com. So again, that's letstalktantra.com, all one word, and uh, go on to follow that link. It'll take you in and it'll guide you on how, I think it asks you for your email and then it gives you the, um, lets you into that whole section where it gives you that pre-meditation. I also have three classes that I offer in there. You can see it's a women's class, a uh, couples course, and a, I said women's, a women's course, a couples course, and a men's course. So those three Mm -hmm. courses are available, and they're online courses. They go at your own pace, and they're very lovely. Great. And so the Let's Talk Tantra has no apostrophe. I was writing that down earlier today. So just to say, don't include the apostrophe. (laughs) No apostrophe. Yeah. Let's Talk Tantra, all one one word, really, and uh, dot com. Yeah. Great. And you have a um, Facebook group, too, don't you? I do. It's called Tantra Talk. And it has a whole bunch of words after that. Intimacy, love, relationship, a whole bunch of things. Nope. Um, I'm in the process of changing the name of that group. It'll still be Tantra Talk, but it'll be Tantra Talk, Living an Orgasmic, Blissful Life, Beyond Your Wildest Dreams. Uh, however, I was trying to change it today, and Facebook is doing a bunch of updates today, so I was not able okay. to do that. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm sure but once you have the email address, changing. they can learn about it that way, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, great. Okay, well, thank you so much, Lisa. I wish you the best of luck with all of your your programs, and, um, you know, thank you for caring for your brother. I um, appreciate that service. Mm. You know, caretakers don't always get all the appreciation they deserve. So I just want to honor you for that. Thank you. Thank you. I yeah. honor you and all that you're bringing forth into the world. You're a blessing. Thank you so much thank for inviting you. me here today. Okay, you take care. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, so thank you for joining us today. Um, Next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, our guest will be Amy Palatnik. She just published a book about her um, dating adventures. um, uh, She started at the age of 50, I believe, and she, um, you know, went out and had like all these wild, sexy dating adventures and wrote a book about it. So we're going to have her on next week and talk about her her book, and what she learned from all those adventures. So please join us next week at 6 p.m. Pacific time for Meeting Edge Love Radio on blogtalkradio.com. We'll talk to you later. Good night.